I want to tell you about our friends, the Genetics Unzipped podcast. Genetics Unzipped is the fortnightly podcast from the Genetics Society, one of the oldest learned societies dedicated to promoting research, training, teaching, and public engagement in all areas of genetics. It's hosted by Dr. Kat Arney and Dr. Sally LePage, bringing you stories from the world of genes, genomes, and DNA. If you like the topic of this episode, Genetics Unzip just did their own fantastic episode about circadian rhythms where they focused on how molecules tell time and what happens when our circadian rhythms go wrong. So check out their version wherever you get your podcasts from. Okay. What's uh, a memorable dream you have? Oh, hey there. It's Kaylee. I have kind of like a recurring dream... What's a dream you've had over and over? I'm in a work meeting and people ask me for like my opinion on something and I can't speak. Oh, spookiest nightmares. Like my mouth is either like sewn shut. Someone came in through the front door and the walls were like sweating. Or like I go to speak and like I have no voice like Ariel and the Little Mermaid, like I have no voice. For me, it's always the same. There was water running down the walls. I'm standing on a beach, one where I spent most of my childhood summers. And the horizon, it starts to get smaller. The shore flows back and forth, higher and deeper, until suddenly a massive wave is in front of me. It's a tsunami, and just before it crashes down, I think, I don't have time! And then I wake up. It's really kind of bizarre. I don't know. Welcome to my brain, everyone. It is a wild place. I've wondered why this is one of a few recurring dreams my brain tends to conjure up. Is it my unconscious mind messing with me? Maybe signaling stress from my day-to-day life? What I do know is that unsettling or strong feelings that can occur in dreams seems to be something we share. And it was the most bizarre light you could ever imagine. Even though we don't entirely know why it happens. Lots to unpack there. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to come back to that. But yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Nice Genes, a podcast brought to you by Genome British Columbia. I'm your host, Dr. Kaylee Byers, your scientific sandman slipping science tales into your dreams. Talking about waking and our non-waking lives is like exploring two different worlds. On one hand, we have the daily conscious grind, cramming work, the latest hobby, and those essential bodily functions into each day. On the other hand, there's the non-waking world. It's pretty much anyone's guess what happens over there. Float over cotton candy clouds? No problem. Dash madly for your fifth grade biology test while your teeth fall out? Hey, only had that one three times this week. But these two worlds overlap, and our conscious life can dominate our unconscious one. 
Our assumption is that our daily lives are meant to be productive and something like sleep is just to, you know, top up that energy for the next day. But I want to ask, in our need to optimize everything, have we been snoozing on the truth of this foundational aspect of our life? And what assumptions can we dispel around sleep and what it brings to our waking life? Okay, okay. So I think it's quite interesting. In so I spoke with Dr. You know, Hiroki Wida. I'm a professor in uh, graduate school of medicine, University of Tokyo, and they're working on sleep research. Dr. Wida has spent his career trying to unlock sleep secrets. Can you tell us what drew you to that area of study? Basically, I'm very much interested in biological timing. What is that biological timing within our brain? Because sleep wake cycle is a 24-hour rhythm of our brain. So I start uh, my research career by working on the clock in our bodies or in, in our cells. Uh, so therefore, I'm very much interested in that kind of stuff. This led him to ponder, what was happening to our brains when we were frozen in la-la land? Or more academically, rapid eye movement sleep. REM sleep. So REM sleep is a usually called paradoxical sleep. Your brain activity looks like waking, very active, but your body is totally silent. Uh, it's, you cannot move at all, which is alternating every 19 minutes. And then every night, we have four to five cycle of the non-REM sleep and REM sleep. Uh, we still don't know why, uh, you know, kind of another mystery. So at that time, we start our research by focusing on the acetylcholine receptor genes. Briefly, acetylcholine is a chemical used to transmit information from our brain through our neurons and to our cells. We find out acetylcholine itself seems to be important for the total sleep. That is non-REM sleep or REM sleep. So they looked for these genetics in mice to get an idea of what connections sleep had with brain activity. And then we tried to investigate one by one. And eventually two genes seems to be involved in total sleep. They found two genes, CHRM1 and CHRM3, were crucial to our REM sleep. But then they removed those genes from the mice. And then we find out uh, REM sleep is totally gone in uh, mice. Without REM sleep, uh, the mice develop some issues. Memory deficit, learning disabilities, and also sometimes mice cannot find the food. And then uh, sometimes they die, unfortunately. The mice only lasted a few weeks. And it was a bit of a wake-up call for what sleep or a lack thereof does to our brain. But it's interesting because, you know, same genes are involved in learning as well as REM sleep. And we know REM sleep seems to be related to learning and memory. So that is why it's very, very interesting. What Dr. Wida and others have found is that our whole body, both during the night and day, is linked to a deep internal process called a circadian rhythm. Yeah, the circadian rhythms are basically our 24-hour body clock. That's Dr. Andrew Coogan, a behavioral neuroscientist from the University mm -hmm. of Maynooth in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So we know there's a bit in the brain, in the hypothalamus in the brain, called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. 
SCN. This otherwise is a super obscure little bit of the brain, kind of a tiny piece of tissues, 20,000 cells, has this amazing clock. And it's to do with how the genes involved in the clock interact with each other to switch themselves on and off. And you can even take the SCN out of the brain and it ticks away, keeps ticking, the clock keeps running. Yes, yes. Yes, actually, clock is everywhere. We now know, actually, we have clocks all over the body. So our hearts have a clock, our livers have clocks. Our hair have a clock, our nose have a clock, our eyes have a clock. Guts have clocks. Our immune system have clocks. There's clocks all over the brain. And they're all sort of synchronized. So this SCN clock is like the orchestrator. And the rest is the orchestra. And it sort of conducts all those various bits to sort of keep them in line. So they regulate our digestive system, they regulate our cardiovascular system, they regulate our various behavioural and cognitive systems in the brain. So so there were these um, cool experiments done in the 60s where they took, uh, in Germany, medical students, put them in these old World War II bunkers with no outside light. And sort of they lived in this sort of isolated world and they still had these 24-hour rhythms or near 24-hour rhythms. And that shows that the circadian rhythm comes from within. It's a biological clock. It's not us just reacting to our environment. Now, what obviously happens is in the real world, our internal clock synchronizes with our environment and particularly with the light, with the solar cycle. So it sun comes up, sun comes down when we're awake, when we're asleep. So I'm working on that the only mechanism of sleep, but also a function of sleep. One of the long-lasting assumptions is sleep is good for resting. Sleep is good for forgetting. Partly true, but what we found is completely opposite. During the wake, your brain connection will be decreased, and then sleep is very good for connecting your brain. And then during the sleep, your brain connection will be enhanced. You know, neurons, they are very active. So wake inhibitions are sleep enhancement, W-I-S-E. So to have a sleep, you can be wiser. So that's, <laughs> that's what I found recently. To recap, as our Earth rotates, our bodies finely tune to elevate hormones, digestion, and metabolic processes at ideal times throughout its 24-hour cycle. What's happening internally in our body is we're mostly responding to changes in light throughout the day. Every little piece of you, like your hair or your immune system, is responding and operating on its own clock in relation to that circadian rhythm. And finally, the fact that sleep is only a means to restore energy is a little short-sighted. It helps create new brain pathways we rely on in the daytime. So there's nearly no aspect of our physiology that isn't influenced by the clock. Just as Dr. Weta mentioned, while sleeping, our brain is in a sort of overdrive. Maybe that's why we have those weird dreams. Researchers took a genetic analysis of sleeping people and found that there was an increase in genes flipping on and off. That gene expression is used in forming new proteins and growing our brains, which directly affects memory formation and learning. So, does going to sleep later pose a dilemma for those connections and short-circuit our circadian rhythm? Dr. Coogan and a colleague started noticing a trend with those who have a delayed bedtime and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD. 
I was just setting up my research group at the time, and a colleague called Johannes Tomey, who's an adult psychiatrist, had just joined the School of Medicine where I was working in. And his particular interest was in adult ADHD, which certainly at the time was a bit of a sort of Cinderella condition. People thought about ADHD in kids, but not so much in adults. You know, we think probably about 2% of the adult population probably has adult ADHD. Um, So there's a lot of it out there. It's not diagnosed. We're still learning about ADHD by looking at our genomes because it has strong genetic links. Studies with twins found that 77 to 88% of ADHD is due to genetic variation. And there's no single gene we can point at as the underlying cause. It's what's called a polygenic trait. Multiple genes are involved. Now, to really bake your brain, this is where pleiotropy comes in. Pleiotropy is where one of those genes associated with someone's ADHD can also be related to other neuropsychiatric disorders, such as autism, depression, anxiety, and substance use disorder. It's complicated. And one of the things we know about people with various different mental health diagnoses is that sleep problems are super common in them. So we got interested in thinking about what sleep looked like in adults with ADHD. Adults with ADHD, they suffer from a lot of sleep problems, but the nature of their sleep problems is what we term a sort of phase delay. So that means that they tend to go to sleep a lot later than other people in the population. So sort of maybe at 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. going to sleep time might be usual where for... Other people in the population might be 11 o'clock at night. Now, in and of itself, that's not necessarily a problem, but it becomes a problem when you've got to get up in the morning to go to work, to go to school, to do all the things that sort of society demands of you. And we think this is really interesting because in ADHD, it's really, really, really consistent, this finding. And it's one of the things often when you talk to people, you know, oh my God, yeah, this makes so so much sense to me now. You know, I've always struggled with my sleep. I could never figure out why or what to do about it or anything like that. And then we sort of think about, well, okay, what's the explanation for this? You know, and we sort of fall into a chicken or an egg situation here. The classic chicken and egg dilemma has entered the chat. Is it the sleep problems that may be causing ADHD? Or did those with ADHD simply have later sleep cycles? Because if you take you or me or anyone out there, and we sort of disrupt sleep. We know our attention gets worse, our impulsivity gets worse. All these sort of classic hallmarks of an ADHD diagnosis. And and the answer to the chicken or egg question is we don't know. (laughs) Well, why should we give a clock? So our main finding is that ADHD is really associated with the shift in our sleep timing towards eveningness, towards a preference for going to sleep later in the day. So the people with the greater ADHD symptoms tend to have the even later sleep timings. What we're trying to do now as a field is to leverage that and to say, well, if we apply a intervention that sort of helps move the sleep timing back to a more normal time. Does that both improve sleep, but does it improve ADHD symptoms as well? It's not to replace other treatments that's out there, it's to add to the toolbox 
of what we can do for the super common condition. If someone with ADHD is having trouble with sleep, Dr. Coogan noticed that melatonin light therapies might help their internal clocks align with the demands of the following day. However, if I'm not getting enough sleep, then it makes it much more likely that you're going to have more sleep problems. An ADHD diagnosis isn't the only determinant exacerbating a lack of sleep. And now we're in this sort of worry loop. What if you, like millions of others, simply struggle to have a full sleep or can't sleep at all? And that's actually, we know that's super important in insomnia. You're listening to Nice Genes, a podcast all about the fascinating world of genomics and the evolving science behind it, brought to you by Genome British Columbia. I'm Dr. Kaylee Byers, your host, and we want to get more people to listen to the genomic stories that are shaping our world. So if you like Nice Genes, hit follow on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Get your friends in sync by sharing a favorite episode with them. I wonder if we could, I mean, sort of take that... Okay, so for this next part, I want to take you to the land of the rising sun, Japan. land of Japan, when we were doing some research for this episode... It has one of the highest rates of insomnia in the world, meaning either having difficulty falling asleep or being entirely unable to do so. Japan is kind of a worst country for insomnia. So a 2018 survey suggests so that nearly half of Japan's population is affected by insomnia. Okay, so 2016's famous report by RAND Institute, they said 2.9% uh, of the entire GDP of Japan suffered from sleep loss. At that time, 138 billion US dollars, which is an enormous amount of money, lost by uh, sleep deprivations. One of the leading reasons behind this national issue... You know, our culture in Japan, called Confucius, so we are working hard... ...is the daily demands of an ingrained work culture. Right. So there's a, a very interesting work done about the sleeping during the day. It's called Inemuri in Japanese. That's Dr. Hiroshi Ono. I am a professor of human resource management at Hitotsubashi University Business School in Tokyo, Japan. And I study work cultures and how people work. So my interpretation of inemuri is that people are almost allowed to doze off because it's a sign of a serious commitment to work. In Japanese offices, you might see people like during lunch and during tea hours or something. Their heads might be buried on their desks or something and sleeping. Actually, including me, so or we are watching such kind of uh, scenes. After maybe 12 o'clock, many people are sleeping on the, on the bench. It's rather bizarre is that you might see people just sleeping in the, during meetings. Or on the, on the train. You see politicians dozing off in, in the diet. Right, and this is shown on television. It's almost like they're allowed to do that because, uh, oh, they must be working really hard, so they must be tired. It's not like really, really shunned. 
He says the work culture of Japan is exemplified by a 2015 drama series called Stamachi Roketo. Stamachi Roketo, Stamachi Roketo, Downtown Rocket. That was like the biggest hit of 2015. And this is a story of a, a Japanese man in his 40s who owns a very small manufacturing company. And his dream is basically to build a rocket and to launch it into space. The, the TV commercial and the posters that was promoting this TV series said it's the story of a man who refused to give up his dream. Nothing else matters, right? Work is central. And he kind of, you know, drives his entire workforce into pursuing this dream. You know, he would basically give up the time that he spends with his family to pursue his dream. And the second part of this is that it's a story of a man, right? That's how you define Japanese work culture. That's how you define Japanese masculinity. Despite the jovial ambition of the lead character, overwork in Japan is a real problem. The term karoshi was coined to describe the more harmful reputation of this work culture. People are literally working themselves to death. Normal regular worker. It pushes employees to stay late. They have a sense of guilty. There is even a Japanese word for it, karoshi. 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 Karoshi, as it's now in Karoshi is literally death by overwork. People might work so hard to the point that they start to suffer physically and they just collapse and die, you know. And sometimes we have like、um, cases of suicide, which would also be associated with karoshi suicide. Even though the phrase karoshi stems from Japan, Dr. Ono says it's not isolated to his island home. US and other OECD countries do have people like 10% of the working population, 20% of the working population are at the risk of Karoshi. People in Silicon Valley, you know, it's like a no sleep culture, right? And the rewards are huge. They work crazy hours and they do die, you know, as a result of it. Now, having said that, I would say maybe the one aspect that might Distinguished Japan is that a lot of times Japanese people are working long hours involuntarily. There are many, many pressures,、uh, peer pressure, social norms, expectations, such as collectivism, hierarchy,、um, considered almost like a virtue to show how dedicated you are to your work. And the, one of the ways that they show this is to stay long hours at the office. It's almost like it's publicly condoned. With respect to our daily lives and sleepy nights, it can feel like finding a healthy balance between these two worlds is a monumental task. Yes.、Uh, so last year.、Uh, But Dr. Wida、so、now hopes to find that path and is doing so alongside、uh, the government of Japan. And then they are seriously discussing about the、uh, introduction of the sleep checkup. So in Japan, we have a very unique. Healthcare system called health checkup. So every year we have to have a health checkup,、uh, which is a mandatory. And it's fully supported by the either company or your own salary written by law. And then this April, a number of congressmen get increased up to 33 congressmen. They are now serious to addressing the issues. I hope 
But、uh, there are many, how to say, companies who are interested in、uh, sleep checkup already. So, therefore, it's kind of becoming the large movement in Japan. Trying to make a change may also have to come from society as a whole. The more unhappy you are, the more unproductive you become, right? And if you're unproductive, you have to spend long work hours at the office. So, it's this really bad cycle. Sometimes people get stuck in the cycle. To the point of sleep deprivation in some people. The key to me is people should just think a little bit more about their happiness because, I mean, if you're really spending so much time on work to the point that it、uh, makes you unhappy, then you're not being productive and it's not good for you, it's not good for society. The countries that work short hours, Scandinavian countries, many Western European countries, are much more productive. Than the long working countries. Now, this is a correlation, not a causation. You have to think about this rationally and say, like, is there a way for me to work short hours and become more productive? And I think that, I think that would be a benefit for all of us. Protecting sleep is important. Yeah, so I think, you know, Dr. Wida shares exactly why. So I have a friend who is,、uh, how to say, investigating the Japanese monkey. And then she said, You know, in wildlife for、uh, Japanese monkey, they couldn't、uh, have a longer sleep because they sometimes wake up and then go back to sleep. So,、uh, because, you know, they have to watch the environment. Animal circadian rhythms can vary from our own. For example, the tenacious Canadian beaver's circadian rhythm differs when it's wintering in dams versus when it's out living its best life in the summer. In the winter, its circadian rhythm is 27 hours. In the summer, it's 24. For humans, this evolutionary story of sleep and rhythms changes too. We humans are kind of a unique animal who enjoys a very long sleep. And then within a very long sleep, there are a cycle between non REM sleep and REM sleep.、Uh, during the REM sleep, Uh, such kind of a new connection will be、uh, eliminated. So it seems like an evolutional process. So within the、uh, human brain, every night、uh, we have four to five times selection process. So that is why I think it's quite interesting and important、uh, for human、uh, natures. So if the pace of life is overstepping those sweet hours of rest, Remember that catching some Z's is all a part of the evolution of our circadian rhythm. Our guests for today were Dr. Hiroki Wida with the Laboratory of Synthetic Biology at the University of Tokyo, behavioral neuroscientist Dr. Andrew Kugan from the University of Maynooth, and Dr. Hiroshi Ono with the Hito Tsubashi University Business School. You've been listening to Nice Genes, a podcast brought to you by Genome British Columbia. If you like this episode, go check out some of our previous ones wherever you listen from. Share us with your friends and leave us a review. You can also DM the show on Twitter by going to GenomeBC. And if you're listening with kiddos or you're a teacher looking to spice up your lessons, we've got learn along activity sheets added to the show description of each episode. It's a little boggy here. It's 
painful to miss a night's rest. First net check, uh, what did we find? Anything? But join us next time when our producer Sean takes one night away in this small little community to see if we can solve the cure for chronic pain. Pain. I don't know, let's see. We look at a genomic talent from a furry, slick, and build creature that could help us put a stopper on pain. There's usually a pretty healthy population of them here. Thanks for listening. Sleep tight and don't let the overproductivity bite. But we're still alone.